Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the AwesomeMode.com NFL Strategy Show. I'm back. I'm also Dave Lochran. With me, Matt Savoka, taking a game-by-game approach, breaking everything down, doing a little bit of a deep dive, getting into the weeds here for Sunday's main slate of 11 games. We had a long way to go. We're going to kick it off in just a minute. We're happy to have you guys with us. But before we get started, Matt, how are we feeling this morning? Hey, we're feeling really good over here. It's a little little rainy in my area of the country. Nothing compared to some areas down south. Just thinking about the New Orleans area while Zeta kind of works its way through. It might affect weather for Sunday. We were talking a little bit before that. But before we get into the football, just want to say hope all of you are well and good and you're healthy. And now let's talk some football. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, one thing. Uh, I saw some comments in a couple of the, the other strategy shows about the ads uh, watching after we stream, we have no control over that. It's, um, you got to be quiet here. It's the overlords. They put those in, and sometimes they do it in 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 pretty quick succession. Uh, you know, you feel like you're living in George Orwell's 1984 sometimes trying to do a show on here. I'm kidding. But uh, I, I know people have talked about that. We don't have any, any control uh, over any of that, so... Um, just just keep that in mind. Um, you know, we do our best to to give you as much free content as we can here uh, and make it uh, as little riddled with with other stuff as we possibly can. So escapism. Not, that's right. We need it. We all need it. And we certainly do. Let's uh, let's dive into it. We've got a lot to touch on. And, you know, there's actually a lot of games with with lower totals this week. Uh, you mentioned that, that weather could be a factor. We mentioned well before the show. Uh, and and we'll make sure to touch on that with all of these games. It's hard to know three days out, but uh, we try and lay the foundation, lay the groundwork for you guys to get started building lineups a few days out as well. So uh, we'll kick it off. Indianapolis and Detroit, the Colts two and a half point favorites here. 50 point total in this one. Detroit sneaking out a win with a huge Kenny Galladay led drive uh, to close that game out. Of course, Matthew Stafford as well and Todd Gurley accidentally stumbling into the end zone uh, to, to, you know, remove the fact, uh, remove the possibility of icing that game for the Falcons. Now Detroit gets a home spot uh, against the Colts. I want to kick it off with the road team, with the Colts. 
and get your initial thoughts on Jonathan Taylor, who is, you know, a lot of hype surrounding him, especially after Marlon Mack went down early in the year. What do we do with a guy now who's seen 24 combined carries over his last four games, seven targets, but hasn't necessarily had a massive bell cow role that many anticipated? Yeah, I still think you're going to see Naheem Hines worked in in the passing game specifically. But one thing we need to keep an eye on is over the last two weeks, Jordan Wilkins has really been relegated to just a spellback role. I think he had 4% of the opportunity share among the running backs last week. So you are looking at a positive matchup here for Jonathan Taylor. And it seems like the DraftKings salary uh, salary makers absolutely know that here. He's already priced up as the running back six on the main slate here. So you're going to need a huge score from him in order to pay off as a value to, in this weekend's games. Uh, it looks like for 3x value, you need about 19.8 points. And when you look at his usage, as you've been referring to, uh, in, in a metric like expected points per game, he's about running back 14, about 14 and a half points per game. He has been outplaying that just a little bit at one fantasy point over expected per game. That's ninth among running backs. And the matchup looks pretty good. Detroit is about even in yards per attempt and below average in points per play. But I think one of the things that you have to consider at that point is, is he going to get the quality touches? Is he guaranteed for goal line usage and for passing game? We've already kind of hinted at no. And so now you need efficiency and or touchdowns for him to pay off. That's why I think the Osmo projections are a little bit lower than that RB6 price that we saw. And I'm sorry, just to, just to tangent back just for a second. I know we're referring to last week, and I, we've had plenty of shows about last week. But I feel bad for Todd Gurley. I feel bad, and I feel like they got put in a little bit of a bad position uh, where he just needed to – they just needed to kneel the ball. They didn't even need to run. It was and first I, down. It wasn't third and short. They didn't need the first down. Exactly. And the NFL films was a little bit sneaky. They created a cut that made it look like they still needed the first down when the run happened and they didn't. Um, and I don't want to get into uh, the kind of like, have you put on the pads, bro, kind of argument. But like, if you've ever put on a football helmet and you're going full speed, it's really difficult to look straight down and go straight down. You're not built to do it. So that's all I'll say. Back to week eight. I do think the matchup. For well, hold, on say, hold on a second. Hold on. He did have too much momentum. You're right. And he fell into the end zone. People say, oh, Todd Gurley's stupid. I saw so many of those comments. He's actually a pretty cerebral player who was, who was slid down in front of the end zone uh, more than once. And you've heard McVeigh say, like, I didn't tell him to do that in the past. So he's known to do that. It was a mistake. But it also it also won one of our one of our guys, who, uh, Neil Orfield in the in the Osimo uh, community, won him a million dollars. So I'm I'm personally okay with it. Uh, one more one more thing, by the way. Uh, yeah, premium YouTube. It's a great way to just eliminate all the ads. I have it. Uh, it's it, you can listen to it in the background. Uh, and, and and if it's if it's an issue for you, there's there's no doubt that that it it, it works. And uh, John Musto says favorite show of the week. Smokey Bear says, same. I really like listening to Lavia Matt. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks, Smokey, guys. your name's on that jersey, brother. I told you I would do it. All Super Chat's going on that jersey. Matt, the floor is yours. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I'm really ready to move on to the passing games here. But I, I still think, Jonathan Taylor, if you look at upside projections and players who could possibly hit 25, 30 points, you're putting Jonathan Taylor on that list. 
this week, especially if the game is kind of controlled by the Indianapolis defense, which they have been able to do in some of their matchups. Though it was less apparent in games against the Bengals and Browns, earlier in the season they were almost leading the league in expected points allowed per drive. So if the Indianapolis defense end up, ends up being the controlling group of this game environment, then of course the running back is also going to be solid on that side. I think Jonathan Taylor is a fine play as the sixth overall running back on the slate. Do you like anything in the passing game this season, which has been wildly underwhelming for the Indianapolis Colts? Phillip Rivers last week finally came through with a solid performance, but uh, do you know that was his first 20 DraftKings point game of the entire season, Matt? Yeah, it's actually or two weeks I, ago. Sorry, they had a bye last week. You're correct. Um, I, I, something I mentioned, I don't know if it was in the last matchups column that the Colts were a part of or, or two weeks before it's something where we kind of know what Philip Rivers is. He needs to exceed his, his expected efficiency or his touchdown totals, which he almost never does, unfortunately. So you're kind of getting a QB 14 to QB 25 player, which isn't going to completely sink a roster, but then you have to compare it to the salary expectations. And you're still seeing him as the 15th overall quarterback on the main slate. Now I will say I was surprised to see the Osmo projections bullish on Rivers, and I think that really just has to do with the matchup here. Teams absolutely have been able to pass on the Lions all season long. And, and yeah, you're seeing an 18th overall ranking in yards allowed per pass attempt and 20th overall ranking in points per play allowed. So it's basically a game environment pick there. You're still looking at the 20th overall quarterback in expected points per game. Do you like the other side with Detroit? I know there's a lot of discussion about DeAndre Swift potentially pulling away with this backfield. Uh, more snaps, more passing game involvement than Adrian Peterson. But I, I do want to point out that for the past two weeks where DeAndre Swift has scored in, in each of those games, two touchdowns two weeks ago, uh, he still has been outtouched on the ground by Adrian Peterson. So I'm not convinced that uh, you know, the ageless wonder is going away quite yet despite every statistical factor showing that he probably should be getting far fewer looks than DeAndre Swift. Yeah, and if we're talking about who are we going to play for DFS, it's do we fade DeAndre Swift or do we play DeAndre Swift? We're not really talking about Adrian Peterson as a player that really has a, you know, more than a, just a sliver of a chance for a 25-point game. But you're exactly right. The opportunity share is almost neck and neck still. I believe it was 17 to 16 in favor of Swift in total opportunities. Now, if there is a two-headed monster as this backfield is, we always want the back that's going to get the passing looks more often, but there's no guarantee whatsoever. We've said this before on the show that there's rational coaching. I fully believe there are going to be plenty of big runs broken by Swift to get them into a goal line situation just so that they can bring in Adrian Peterson. There's not a huge amount of analytics to say that, but I'm just trying to get inside of Matt Patricia's head and think about how he's going to continue to use Peterson until the wheels fall off. Actually, both running backs came in higher than their slated uh, salary-based expectations on the Osmo projections, but of course, we're seeing Swift in the top 20 without Peterson even breaking the top 30 here. What about the passing game, starting with someone like Kenny Galladay, who has uh, made some unbelievable catches this season? Yeah. Uh, yeah, particularly last game. 
Yeah, if you looked at it, it, you say six receptions, seven targets. He did have 114 yards and was uh, instrumental in them um, in the, in their comeback late in that game. But uh, the, the the catches he made were absurd. And Kenny Galladay's never been known as someone that gets a ton of separation on targets in his receptions. He just comes down with you know almost all of his contested opportunities. He's sixty six hundred dollars on DraftKings. Uh, highest priced receiver in this game by a mile. Do you like him this week? Uh, and how do you feel about a, a Detroit passing game that in large part has been lacking volume, 36 or fewer pass attempts at all but one game this season for Stafford. And that came all the way back in week one against the Chicago Bears. Yep, you're exactly right. And this is something that I mentioned in my matchups column that just came out on awesomeo.com this morning here that the Lions don't particularly want to be the uh, stereotype that we usually give to Matt Stafford. They don't want to be a gunslinging team. So they essentially are a team that's devoted to using these two running backs that we already mentioned and throwing the ball up in contested situations to their two main receivers, Kenny Galladay and TJ Hawkinson. Now, I really like Kenny Galladay's upside here. I mean, I just, if you look at players who can score 30 points in any matchups, particularly a plus matchup, which this one doesn't really happen to be, it's about average. Kenny Galladay is always going to make that list. Even considering price here, I think you could absolutely make a case for him uh, being one of the highest probability touchdown scorers at the wide receiver position. And like you said, I mean, I actually tweeted it out from my, uh, my Twitter timeline. Follow me at Draftaholic. I said, you can't call him baby Tron anymore because that's a grown ass man. Like that is just an incredible array of catches. But I will say he only had five targets going into that final drive. So his final stat line looks okay. But as you mentioned before, the volume overall on this team is lacking. So you're really looking for efficiency or touchdowns. I've said it already today. That first comes with Galladay. As expected though. I, uh, I saw the Osmo projections in there are, are ahead of his 10th overall salary. So uh, I think it absolutely happened. And so do the projections this week. The volume is the only concern here. Uh, that's really it for me because Galladay is going to come down with some remarkable catches uh, and he's still going to be the, the most heavily targeted player on this team. I don't think either of us have any, um, any arguments in that respect. Uh, It's just, we know that if they can run the ball, they're going to. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Run the ball. 
and, and it's kind of disappointing unless we get more from DeAndre Swift. Matthew Erickson, thank you for the super chat, brother. He says, best DFS preview show on the internet and best awesome show. Man, that is high praise. Hey, love, thank you. Love Matt's thoroughness and insight, and Lafay is the GOAT host. You're going on the jersey, Matt. I'm a man of my word right after this show. Maybe I'll even do it in a minute. Um, thanks, though, man. So anybody else for Detroit? And then I want to get to this uh, Vikings-Packers game, which is super juicy. Oh, I mean, you have to consider TJ Hawkinson, but the hard thing this week is that he's the fifth tight end in terms of salary this week. That's really tough when you're talking about a generally low-volume team and you're banking on touchdowns. Now, the positives here, he's had nine red zone targets this season, six end zone targets. He actually leads the team in red zone targets up over 26%. So, of course, two touchdowns are possible. But banking on that, you know, he needs 16 points for a a 3x value day on DraftKings this week. That's really tough to do. Uh, It might be an interesting tournament play because he looks like he's going to have like 0.5 to 0.2% ownership. So just to differentiate your lineup there. But again, when you just compare the projection of the salary, it doesn't look great. It doesn't. Well, let's talk about Minnesota and Green Bay. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one for a number of reasons. Packers are laying seven points at home. That makes sense. Uh, I do think this game should stay relatively competitive, despite what we've seen early in the season. 51-point total. Uh, Dalvin Cook, uh, last I saw, he he expects to play Cook said he's going to play. Zimmer said he's going to play. I, b- I believe Dalvin Cook said there's 99.999% chance that he'll be active. Uh, you know what that means for me, Matt, is I really like Dalvin Cook here. His ownership uh, has yet, I believe, I don't think we've updated it yet. Um, yeah, it won't be what it says here. Right. Well, it says 8.4. I, well, yesterday was 0.3, so now we've got him in. Um, if, if he's coming in at 8.4. If he's coming in sub 10%, I will be in love with Dalvin Cook this week, especially given, and I want to put some context, I want to surround this with some context. Kareem Hunt, similar price point, 30%. Alvin Kamara right now, 8,200, 26%. Josh Jacobs is a lot cheaper, so I won't include him. Derrick Henry, there he is, 19.5%. A lot of these guys up top are going to be much higher on. So as far as as um, Dalvin Cook goes and... On the other side of this one, depending on his status, didn't practice yesterday. Uh, Aaron Jones could also be super intriguing if he is active. The run game in this spot for both sides, I really, really like. But we'll kick it off with Dalvin Cook making his return uh, against the Packers, who have struggled on the ground and locked down opposing receivers. Yeah, they sure have. They rank 22nd in yards per, uh, excuse me, 20th in yards per. I was first, correct, 22nd in yards per carry. Third time's a charm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, in spite of Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of last season stating we've got a defense, it truly doesn't look like beyond Jair Alexander, they have a superstar defense. And and he truly is a superstar. I believe he's still rated as as PFF's number one overall cornerback. But if you just look at Dalvin Cook, anytime you're looking at a running back, who is third overall in expected fantasy points per game and first overall in fantasy points over expected per game at the running back position with some sort of limited ownership like we might be expecting because people are scared off on that first game back from injury, it really is a smash spot. You almost fundamentally try to play it from a game theory standpoint 
as you said, based on the expected ownership of the others around him and the opportunity for Cook to score just as many or more than them. So I do believe that one of the limiting factors in this game might be uh, something similar to what we saw the Vikings uh, before their bye week, where they had to abandon the running game because they were so far behind in the second half. And I, I cannot tell you how bad of shape the Vikings secondary is in. I believe they had their top three cornerbacks not practicing and their top three cornerbacks are all outside PFF's top 75 in coverage rating. So they're already in a horrible position and they may not have any starters available. It was interesting to hear you say the running games are going to run all over because I think Aaron Rodgers might melt faces this weekend. So here's, here's where I'm slightly have a slightly contrary in take or take to the contrary of yours. We're expecting near 30 mile per hour wins, sustained wins in Green Bay, at least from what I'm seeing. Uh, If that is the case, as good as Aaron Rodgers is, and look, we know that he can combat any of the natural elements. I take nothing away from him. But if that is the case, these are not 10 mile per hour wins. I think Tony mentioned it in chat too. If you're getting 25 plus mile per hour wins, sustained, I don't care who you are. That is a very tough environment to sling the football. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm smirking here because right before the show, Dave was saying that he can't trust these weather reports three days before, but it absolutely is the truth. If we get that weather that they are expecting right now. I trust the to... wind. I don't trust the rain. I feel oh, that's like a good point. It's always far more predictable than the rain. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but doesn't it kind of feel that way? Like when they say it's going to be windy, it's always windy. When they say it's going to rain, it doesn't always rain. Mm, I'd love to see uh, some sort of data study from someone smarter right. than me on that. That'd be great. I just, I just feel confident. But we absolutely have to mention it in terms of how it would affect the passing and kicking an offensive game in general. If that were the case, if you have those sustained wins, you can't pass deep. And then yeah, you're right. We're a little bit less sure of the rain situation. But if that's the kind of weather we get, that's the game environment we're going to be playing in. The running games will obviously be bumped up in that situation. Yeah. And look, as you put it, melting faces is certainly a possibility for for Aaron Rodgers. No question there. Uh, But I think uh, melting this ground or this run defense could also be very much in the cards for Dalvin Cook. But we have to consider ownership here too, Matt. Like if Dalvin Cook really does come in at 8% or sub 10% in this spot against a, a team in Green Bay who we could talk about the potential blowout, but I'm not going to base everything on that because a lot of blowouts or projected blowouts don't end up that way. That A team in Green Bay that really funnels opposing offenses through the ground instead of through the air ownership on Dalvin Cook could be one of the best steals of the week, in my opinion, at least. Um, Oh, I'm totally with you there. Um, What else are you doing with Minnesota? Irv Smith, Adam Thielen, Justin Jackson, uh, Justin Jefferson, sorry, with uh, some really big performances this season. But Green Bay has put the clamps on opposing uh, wideouts. Yeah, I think my inclination here would be to look at Justin Jefferson a little bit more closely than Thielen. Not that if you look at the PFF shadow report, not that Jair Alexander has shadowed wide receivers all year long, 
but I do expect him to spend a lot of time on Adam Thielen. If you look at expected point fantasy points per game, which is a great uh, proxy for usage, he's number six in the NFL among wide receivers, and he's outperforming that expectation by over three points a game. But I'm still not sure when going up against the number one cornerback in the league this year, in my opinion, it's a very rosy outlook. And the, the awesome projections completely agree there as well. Justin Jefferson, though, lines up basically in line with his salary here. Although it is it is notable that he's the wide receiver 12 in terms of overall wide uh, in terms of overall salary on DraftKings. That means he needs a 20 point game to hit 3x value at 6,500. So that, of course, is no guarantee. What you're saying then is this is a shootout game environment, and we've already gone into the reasons it might not be. So it would be okay if you just played the running backs here. Uh, 3.6% ownership is a little intriguing for a player you know could hit 25 if they need it. Do you like uh, the Packers side? Like I said, we're factoring weather in. Uh, specifically wind. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll know closer to lock. Uh, I do think that plays a role, um, but I'm not somebody, and I talk about this with baseball a lot, when you make decisions strictly on weather, especially when it's when it's very much uncertain, you can put yourself in bad positions uh, and fade games that end up blowing out or, or end up popping off. So does this mean that I fade the passing game for Green Bay if it's windy? No, not at all. Does it mean that I like the ground game more? Certainly does. Uh, but there's a lot of uncertainty, too, with the backfield because uh, if, if Aaron Jones doesn't play, that's going to open things up once again for Jamal Williams. Uh, is his increased price point against this Minnesota team still worth getting to if I, Jones is out? I really think so. I mean, there's only so many running backs we get below that 6500 price point on DraftKings that we can be guaranteed for a, a bell cow role. And if Aaron Jones sits, then Williams would absolutely be one of them. You know, he still needs a great game. As we kind of said, he, he needs about 18 points at his price points to really pay off as a value. But like we said, there's so many reasons why the Packers would prefer to funnel their game through their running backs and Devonte Adams, of course. And especially if they are able to get up early, you could see this running game put up huge fantasy points. So I think it makes a ton of sense. Right now, uh, the projections have Aaron Jones playing, and they have him about in line with his running back for salary this weekend on DraftKings. I certainly don't hate it. Uh, when I was going into the research for the week, as I mentioned, it looked like a smash spot for the passing game, but they use running backs in the passing game so often in Green Bay that it doesn't scare me off at all. I like it pretty much no matter what, especially if Jones sits, Williams is going to be a great value. Thoughts on Devontae Adams, monster game last week, concluding with 13 receptions on 16 targets, 196 yards and two scores. Uh, amazingly, he was not the highest performing wide receiver of the week by almost 10 points. Yeah, I... Just a crazy, crazy slate last weekend. And yeah, Tyler Lockett and, you know, scores like that completely break the rest of the slate. But Adams pretty much was the slate breaker early in the afternoon. It won't really be point chasing to go back to him, assuming the ball can move through these wins that we've talked about already. He's the wide receiver one in salary. So it's not like you're getting any sort of discount, but the projections line up the exact same way. I'm looking at Minnesota's yards per attempt and points per play number, and they're all way, way below average, bottom six, bottom five in the league here. So 
the game just really calls for a situation where the quarterbacks of Minnesota are completely overwhelmed. And it wouldn't be crazy to say Devontae Adams gobbles up those early points and then the run game closes this out if Green Bay has their way. Okay. Anybody else from either side of this one or do you want to move on to uh, an AFC North divisional battle? Always a very fun game between the Steelers and Ravens. Yeah, we don't have to. We can move on. But Robert Sunyan as the tight end 11 overall in salary. He's uh, touchdown dependent, but at 4,300, he's he's pretty appealing. And uh, especially if the game gets more pass heavy, I like him a little bit there, too. All right, let's move on to the third game of the week. Pittsburgh at Baltimore hosting the Steelers, laying three and a half points, 46-point total. I honestly don't hate the idea of of taking the Steelers outright here, taking the money line. Uh, They're a good football team. They are a very good football team. They've allowed some chunk yardage plays. We saw Miles Sanders rip off a 76-yarder. We saw A.J. Brown break loose in the middle of the field and run that down for like 70-plus yards for a score. Uh, but they do a very good job of shutting down the run game. And I do think, you know, last year I throw it out the window. You're talking Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Ben Roethlisberger threw some picks last week, a couple of them bad, one of them unlucky. But he is back. Like, the guy looks good. He's never going to be his his old self, but he's been good enough to make this team, to keep this team, I believe, uh, are they still the only undefeated team in the league? They are. They're the they are. only undefeated team in the league. Uh, I personally think they're better than Baltimore, uh, but that doesn't matter because one thing I do expect, we're talking fantasy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here is that this, this game stays competitive. Uh, I just can't say that I'm in, I'm in love with, with the Baltimore side. Last week, I, I, I was Really liking that Pittsburgh-Tennessee game because it had a a possibility of going off. We got close. We had two big performances, but not as as a whole. Um, Now you look at this one. You've got Lamar. You've got Deontay Johnson hopefully going to be healthy. Who knows when he's healthy? He's questionable now. Uh, Mark Ingram is questionable to play. Didn't participate yesterday despite having a bye in week seven. So just kind of setting the table here, Matt. There are a lot of question marks, and maybe, depending on some of the inactives or actives, this game could actually be more appealing than it looks on a Thursday morning. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think if you look at games with a total, a Vegas total under 50, and you start to do the thought experiment of which of these games could absolutely smash their over-under, you look at these two offenses and recognize their firepower and realizes there's a that there's a little bit of disconnect between that Vegas total 
and the ability and talent of these two offenses. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the bookmakers. They're looking at the range of outcomes and just taking the middle of it so that they can get equal bets on either side here. But I think this is one of those situations where no one would be surprised if 65 points got put up in this game. Is that the most likely outcome? No. I think the defenses are really, really strong on both sides. But as you refer to, if the Steelers end up giving up a huge run or just one breakaway play that opens up the game for Baltimore, that's going to force that offense that has three legitimate wide receiver weapons and James Conner in the backfield, who's been great since that week one injury, they have enough ability to come back in games and they each team also obviously loves to play when ahead, choosing to chew out the clock, focus on their defense and running the ball. I think that's why we see the low total here. I, I actually think that you could take small bets, especially in tournaments on Deontay Johnson. He said he was going to play. He, they called it, I believe an ankle bruise. I know in Pittsburgh, they tend to, uh, minimize yeah they like use like contusion when really he's going to the hospital and things like that cryptic nondescript whatever you want to say for them not to give us the full information i'm still pissed about the ben roethlisberger elbow injury last year where they knew he was hurt that's tough uh, especially when you're putting money on these games or you're betting on rosters in dfs where you feel like the information the injury report is designed at least partially for people to make informed decisions about these things. And so it doesn't feel very genuine when you find out after he got injured. I digress. I do think James Conner in the most likely game outcome where this game stays close is a really appealing option, even though he's the running back eight in overall salary. Uh, Running back 11 in fantasy points per game. So you're seeing some alignment there. And assuming points are scored, which again, is a little bit of an if. I just think he has the requisite volume week in and week out to be a quality pick at that price. I did notice that Roethlisberger's projection on awesomemo.com is significantly lower than his salary. His salary is up at QB8 this weekend. That's partially the reason why. So another thing too is with Marlon Humphrey, I, I don't I don't imagine this will be a shadow situation, but I would imagine that he sees a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster it, it, it should definitely open things up for Deontay Johnson. And, and one thing I was very adamant about is the the lack of love for Deontay Johnson because of two big Chase Claypool games was kind of misguided in that Chase Claypool was get, having those big games, one, because he's going to be really a good player, but yes. two, because Deontay Johnson was inactive. Uh, well, of course, in week five against Philly, he left early in that game after being targeted only once. So, and then he missed the next week. He, prior to the injury, had racked up double-digit targets in weeks one and week two, led the team in looks. Uh, and then week three against Houston, I, I, I'm going to just throw that out the window. But then he comes back in week seven with 15 targets. So uh, Ben Roethlisberger clearly wants to get the ball to Johnson. He even dropped the third touchdown in the corner of the end zone towards the end of the first half. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I yeah noted in the matchups column that every single game that he's played 75% of snaps, he's had double digit targets. That's a wide receiver one. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Uh, that's big stuff right there. Aside from that, I, I'm not enamored with this game. Uh, I, I don't, in, I, I don't intend on paying for Lamar Jackson. DraftKings has kind of baked this matchup into his salary, which, which is fine. Um, I, I don't know. All in all, just, 
not a game I'm particularly high on. And then the problem is that even if, if dot, if we'll, we'll close it out with this, Matt, uh, and get your take, even if Ingram happens to sit, you know, JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards probably split work and you might even see more Gus Edwards than Dobbins. I honestly don't know. Uh, Dobbins apparently, or they've said that, uh, that Gus Edwards is the guy that's going to close out the games anyway, called him their closer it's not a good matchup. So you you're, you have to get the guy right and from a volume standpoint, and then you have to get him right, as Ben Rossa would say, you need both from the from the matchup perspective and actually get production out of him. It's just, it, it's tough, and it's not really a spot I'm interested in getting to. Uh, what do you go, what are you doing here? You can round this game out for us. Yeah, that's a great point about needing to get both the opportunity right and the game environment right instead of just one of those two things. It always gets tougher at that point. I love that idea. And I also love the idea of using a running back as a quote-unquote closer, like they're talking about, where they have somebody who's fresh. I I know there's all this talk about Derrick Henry gets stronger in the fourth quarter, and show me the study where that's true, and I'll believe you. But I think there's there's a great concept in having somebody as strong and as able as Gus Edwards has been, he, he, you know, he's been, you know, pretty, pretty efficient in terms of running back expected points added, especially he really shines. But I completely agree with the take there. Figuring out the opportunity is going to be really, really tough. And we don't even know if it's going to be a good game for running backs. I will say, I do like Lamar Jackson in weeks that he's coming in under own. Because again, if we look at players who can just break the slate, with a 35 to 40 point quarterback score, Lamar Jackson is always, always going to be on that list. Of course, it doesn't look like a very good matchup, but I'm seeing 2% ownership from the NFL MVP. You know, he's not hurt. He's still playing with most of his weapons. He still has a strong line and a strong running game. So like you said, we've seen some breakaway plays against the Pittsburgh defense. It's not the craziest bet. His projections right in line with that QB4 salary on DraftKings this weekend. All right. So if we're talking Tennessee and Cincinnati, this is certainly a game that could go nuclear. And maybe it won't. Maybe it will. We're about to find out in a few days. As we look at our Osmo uh, top stack tool, we have ownership coming in on these quarterbacks at – uh, so we've got Cincinnati at 10%, third highest, Tennessee at 7.4. There will be ownership in this game. Make no mistakes about it. But the Tennessee Titans, and I said this uh, the past couple of weeks, the scoring in their games has been very high. Last week, sure, only 51 total points, but it still went over the 50.5 point total that closed that it closed at. Uh, we saw 78 points against Houston, even take away the six points in overtime, and you still got a very high-scoring game. 58 points uh, in the Buffalo game, 61 against Minnesota, 66 against Jacksonville. That's uh, going all the way back to week two. Meanwhile, Cincinnati can't stop anybody, Matt. So it does feel like, despite some popularity here among these players, it does feel like we have a potential real recipe for success especially when you consider Joe Burrow has thrown for 300 plus yards uh, in five of his last six games, uh, culminating last week in a 400 yards, three touchdown performance in a loss. Yeah, it's tough for Joe Burrow because the team around him is just not ready to win as the record indicates here. 
but he is going to be fine. They do have they do have weapons there, and I, I think T. Higgins is going to be a strong player, and the reemergence of A.J. Green is absolutely a great thing to see. One thing that I noticed as I was digging into the data this week, and you can actually look at this on the data deep dive on the Osmo.com NFL page, is that if you look at some of the aggression metrics that I tend to use to try to suss out the identities of teams, of course, we see extra running plays for the Titans. But I noticed that if you look at their neutral situations and what they do on early downs, they actually are quite aggressive in terms of how many air yards they tend to throw at. And they're right at league average in terms of their early down pass rate, which indicates they're using play action. They're using the fact that they have a strong running game in Derrick Henry to their advantage to be more aggressive as a team. In fact, the closest teams in terms of aggressiveness Again, you can check this all out on this free article on Osmo every week. The closest teams, if you look at the graph, are the Chiefs and the Bills, two teams that we think of as very aggressive, pass-happy teams. Basically what I'm saying is that the Titans use Derrick Henry the exact amount you should use a player like Derrick Henry. That means giving him a bunch of carries in any type of situation. But they have figured out a way to be aggressive And in a matchup against Cincinnati, who, as you said, has been one of the worst teams in the league in almost any metric you look at, you can expect some splash plays from this team. And on the other side of the ball, you have a player who's thrown the ball 40 plus times a game, who they seem to want to have throwing for 400 yards a game. This is all the recipes for a shootout, so long as the weather can hold up. (laughs) We're bringing it up again. But I noticed that Roto-Grinders weather and some of the some of the other tweets I saw was showing that there was a lot of opportunities for weather related problems with this game. Sorry, my dog gets really scared in thunderstorms <laughs> as she was scratching at the door. I keep it closed to keep the lighting right. And you know, I, I can, you know, I can ramble about these games forever. So I got you, but I'm glad you're, yeah, you're good. Right. I appreciate it. I had to carry <laughs> her in here. I knocked something off the shelf. She gets, uh, she gets super spooked, but I had to get her up over something because of the, the lighting setup and everything. But, uh, yeah, so she, I'm telling you, certain dogs just cannot handle thunderstorms. Uh, you, you, uh, you, have, you have a pit, a pit, yeah, right? And, and a lot of pits cannot handle, she's a pit mix. She yeah. has some rot, pit Rottweiler and lab. Uh, certain dogs can't, pit bulls specifically, a lot of them have a very tough time with that. And fireworks, she's not good with fireworks. So, uh, hey, you know. a, a little, uh, uh, free, a little free pit mix advice. My family got, do you know what a thunder jacket is? Yeah, the, and like the yeah, I, I do actually. As a matter of fact, I wrap her up in some blankets sometimes too. But do they work? It works. It works. It's these weighted blankets. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. It absolutely helps. Awesome. There you go. Maybe I'll do it. John says dogs over people, Laffy. You got it, brother. <laughs> you got it. Um, look, I, I heard everything you said though, and and I agree. He, there, Burrow doesn't have the cast around him to get it done, but he does have the cast to score points, right? Absolutely. And, and that's what it, that's what makes a great game stack where you say, Hey, the team overall kind of stinks and they're probably going to lose this game. Maybe by a touchdown, maybe by more, maybe by less, but they're probably going to score points as well. And the Tennessee Titans have been no stranger to seeding a decent amount of points, right? 27, 36, uh, 16 to Buffalo, 30 and 30. They give up. That's a lot of points, even in 2020. So uh, AJ AJ Green's another one. Doesn't get a lot of separation, but it does appear 
that he's finally finding some synergy and, and some connection or chemistry, I should say, with with Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow has certainly looked at him a lot. Uh, I said on yesterday's show with Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak something that's pretty crazy. Despite being, you know, top 12 in targets in the league, A.J. Green only has a 20% target share. And that's why you have to contextualize these things because you might look at it and say, oh, he's really not being targeted that much. But he is, Matt. It's just Joe Burrow is throwing the ball an excessive amount. Yes, and and that's why you got a great point. You got to contextualize. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Metrics all the time. You look at target share, 27.6% target share. That's pretty good. You know, that's up there. But then you realize that's 13 targets last week. That's a tremendous amount of volume. And in a situation where Tennessee is basically at league average or below in yards per carry allowed, yards per attempt allowed, and points per play allowed. And the fact that the pacing could be very high in this game, I I just really like the way this sets up. And in fact, the Osmo projections are really bullish on green. Yes, if you look at expected fantasy points he's like 54th among wide receivers and has scored get this negative five and a half fantasy points per game below expectation it's been ugly but i think it's getting better i really do and if if you're done with aj green and you want to move off to t higgins who by the way is is priced up a little bit more he's the 22nd wide receiver in salary and tyler boyd's up there at 10th in salary That's the risk you're taking on, but I don't blame you at all. Like you said, if there's anywhere on the team that the Bengals do have weaponry, it's in the receiving game, and this is a game environment we should probably be taking advantage of. Simple as that. Yep. Favorite plays from this game, uh, both sides. We'll keep it quick so we can keep it moving here, but top plays uh, just encapsulate everything for us because I think this could be an integral game uh, in, in deciding the results of tournaments this week. Yeah, just because we didn't talk about Derrick Henry that much doesn't mean Derrick Henry couldn't be the highest scoring player on the Titans or in this game overall. If the game environment is strong for players for the receiving game, it's really strong for all players. It's very possible that Derrick Henry breaks one. Uh, I believe Joe Mixon is still not practicing. It could be another week of Giovanni Bernard. He's priced up a little bit more, but he's still just the 19th overall running back on the slate. He's definitely going to be chalky if Mixon sits again. Okay, Jordan, I just realized you didn't get on camera where I carried the dog and knocked the stuff off my show. <laughs> okay, that's a good thing. Nice work there. Jordan Klein producing the show. That is some professional navigation there behind the glass. Um, let's talk about the Vegas Raiders and the Cleveland Browns. Before we do, though, guys, if you haven't hit that thumbs up yet, please do. It helps us a ton. But what actually helps us more, and it's entirely free to do, and if you hate it, you can just – get yourself out of it. You know, you can bail, hit that thumbs up button. I'm sorry. Hit that subscribe button, subscribe to the channel. Uh, And if you want to know when all shows are going to drop next, you can hit the subscribe or the uh, notification bell, but yeah, subscribe to the channel. 
uh, it, it does help us be able to reach more people uh, and continue putting out free content like this. So uh, we appreciate all of you guys from the, the thumbs up to the subscribers, to the super chats, you name it. Uh, it helps us keep doing this uh, and, and, and being able to keep going strong and, and build this channel to keep making it better on, on pretty much every level. Uh, also, the promo code PUMPKIN is good through the 31st. It's good through Halloween. It gets you an Awesome Plus Platinum NFL Weekly Pass for only $10.31. That's nearly $20 off the original price. You're talking ownership projections, player projections, top stack tool, all of our showdown content, all of our articles from these guys that put so much work into them every single day. The lineup builder, you can get the Fantasy Cruncher add-on. Um, all of the projected stats, like, just go to the site and look. Uh, there's so an incredible amount of NFL DFS content at your fingertips for $10.31 for the week. If you use that promo code pumpkin at checkout, um, Alex Baker makes these tools. He cre- or he developed these tools. He uses these tools. You know him as Awesomeo. They are really his tools that he uses for his own lineups, not just slapping his name on them. Uh, and if you wanted to go cheaper, if you're maybe in a tight spot or you just don't trust content sites uh, because you've been burned in the past, I can assure you we're not one of those. We deliver. But if you check out the express package, it's $3.95 a week, less than $4. Uh, it'll get you a, a lot of great stuff for the main sites, for the other sites. But also we just started including all of the showdown content. Ownership projections, player projections, top stack tool, the top plays uh, where you're looking at probabilities and everything that, that Alex Baker built himself. Just some amazing stuff, less than $4 a week. Go to awesomeo.com slash join. Check it out. We got something for everybody. And hop in our premium Slack chat if you decide to sign up. You can sweat with your friends. You can commiserate. You can make friends, become part of the community, talk DFS, sports betting, everything all day We had long. a Millie Maker sweat. Yeah, we had in the Slack last week. We had a Millie Maker Unbelievable. Win. We had, we had the win. Uh, just just amazing. And, and, you know, I'll add on to what you said here, that one of the best ways to use the projections is to contextualize it with these free shows. Not to say, hey, the show I'm on is, is kind of worth watching, but use the shows that Osmo's uh, content network on YouTube or through your favorite podcast network. Use those to your advantage to sort of tip the scales when you're crunching lineups or you're doing it by hand in the ways that you feel based on what you've heard and read on our site and through our free content. And that's how you can really best utilize the, uh, the, these awesome tools that we already have. In fact, while I was listening to the interview with our Millie Maker winner, and that's exactly what he does. He listens to shows as he's working throughout the week, and then he makes slight changes or slight adjustments to the projections to make it the way he wants. You should do it too. Yes, sir. And uh, check out Matt's matchups article and his uh, data deep dive. If I got the wrong name wrong, I apologize, but oh, you, you know what I'm it. talking about. It's, uh, it's great stuff, and uh, people have loved it. Vegas Raiders, Cleveland Browns. Let's keep this train moving. The Cleveland Browns are laying two and a half points at home, 51 and a half point total. Baker Mayfield coming off by far his best performance of the season, tossing five touchdowns and 297 yards on only 28 attempts, 22 completions. Good stuff here. Again, easily his best performance, his only 20 DraftKings point performance of the year. Odell Beckham is down for the season with an ACL tear. That is rough. So enter guys like Landry potentially getting more volume there. Uh, And Austin Hooper also isn't expected to play this week. Harrison Bryant's price has not come up much. He started surprisingly over David Njoku last week. A lot of moving parts here, but the biggest one to start with is 
with uh, Nick Chubb still on the IR, Kareem Hunt is going to get a lot of ownership, and I think very rightfully so. Absolutely. I said in the matchups column this week, it's another Kareem Hunt auto start week. Just just plug him in where it fits and move on with your lineups. It's really that simple this week. The, the matchup looks so good for running backs. And, you know, especially if the Browns lean on their backfield as the Kevin Stefanski offense tends to do anyway, and just lets Baker continue to just be efficient, hopefully, on limited attempts, you're just going to want this backfield, especially if it's all of Kareem Hunt's as it is this week. So it really is a no-brainer play against the team in the Raiders that has been really struggling in terms of uh, against the run, <laughs> plays against the run this week. But I also want to say in the passing game that Jarvis Landry is certainly not priced like a wide receiver one yet. Uh, I understand the uncertainty about the passing game in general with Odell Beckham Jr. going down. I, I thought there were some really insensitive remarks in the media saying that the team might be better off without a, a Odell Beckham. I, I mean, it's just not true from a talent perspective, period. I really hope for the Browns' sake that Jarvis Landry is pretty much healed from that hip surgery that really slowed him down early in the season. But I think more likely is they're going to need contributions from players like Rashard Higgins, from players like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had an incredible touchdown at the end of last game. I mean, that's just an amazing play. Hats off to Baker, too, for an incredible throw and drive. We've already waxed poetic about Matt Stafford's 75-yard drive. Baker Mayfield did it with no timeouts and in less time. So, it, you know, just it was great to see the ceiling of Baker Mayfield once again. Now, it was against the Bengals, who in terms of yards per attempt allowed, they're one of the worst in the league. So not every matchup is like that. But this is setting up for a matchup similar to it. So I really think that you could get a solid stack with Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry. Or if you wanted to go some of those lower price options, Harrison Bryant makes a lot of sense again. Yeah, like you said, he's not priced up. He's tied in 27 overall in salary. And uh, I, I think there are a lot worse options, especially at 3,200 on the main slate. So on the other side of this one, you've got, and by the way, I really do. I don't care about Kareem's Hunt, Kareem Hunt's ownership this week. I, it's just ownership's important, but there are certain spots that are just extraordinarily good and he's not overpriced. Uh, you could be arguing that Kareem Hunt should be priced among the top players up into that 7K range uh, for obvious reasons, being that, you know, since Nick Chubb went down, you're seeing a lot of volume. I don't include the Dallas game because he was banged up and they didn't need to, but the following week he had 24 looks, 20 carries, four targets, uh, 16 the game prior to that, but they got blown out. So he wasn't used frequently late in the game as he shouldn't have been. But then last week in another competitive affair, 22 looks, 18 attempts and four targets. It's a very, very distinct possibility that Kareem Hunt has 20 carries and and five targets this week and ends up being a volume monster as we've seen him capable of doing. Uh, so I, I, I really do like him on the other side. You, you've got the, uh, you've got the Raiders projected at the highest quarterback ownership on the slate right now. Derek Carr at 17.5%. Uh, pretty remarkable stuff. Actually, let me see something. Cause I don't, I think we updated the ownership. We yeah. I've seen about 12% now, but well, it's still the, way up there. In the top stack tool, he's still oh, okay. at 17.5. Uh, but, yes, I, I think we just need to, to update that one, and then it will uh, balance itself out. So we'll go with the uh, – we're going to go with the, the ownership 
So the would you say twelve percent, eleven percent? Yeah, but that's still second among quarterbacks, eleven point seven percent. It's very high for a quarterback. The the issue here is who do you really pair him with outside of Darren Waller, who for very obvious reasons is set getting the second highest projected ownership on this slate? Because once you get past Waller, uh, and we still have to talk about Jacobs, you're you're looking at Henry Ruggs, who's running a lot of routes, but the targets haven't been there. And Nelson Aguilar, whose prices come up, has had popped off for a couple of games, but is still, you know, when it all boils down to it, Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, exactly. We're we're still not moving off our priors about what he was in Philadelphia just yet. But we have seen Derek Carr kind of lean on these tertiary options uh, for big plays. If you remember the Seth Roberts years, even as Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper were producing, he had a ton of goal line and red zone work that you wouldn't expect there. So that's just something to keep in mind. You're absolutely right, though. Darren Waller is the first player that you should have in mind here when you're thinking of stacking the really strong value of Derek Carr with one of his pass catchers since week three he's up at 22 percent of the targets 31 percent of the red zone targets and he's number three among tight ends in expected fantasy points per game so uh, at fourth in salary we've got Kittle we've got Kelsey and we've got Andrews on the slate this week you're seeing a little bit of a value play which is why you're seeing that sky high ownership at 29%. Now, you mentioned it before, not all contest formats do we even have to consider ownership. It's really just tournaments and specifically tournaments with lots of people in it that we need to really leverage ownership correctly here. But it is a little nervous when you see a a tight end at 29% expected ownership because I don't really feel like there's any tight end in the world who has a 29% chance of hitting their ceiling every week. But He's still a phenomenal play against a Browns defense that has really struggled against the pass, uh, as we saw last week in Joe Burrow's game. So another game in the Midwest where wind could be an issue. Uh, I don't know. The ground game is just really appealing here for me. I like Josh Jacobs. I think he's underpriced. I like Kareem Hunt a lot. Uh, and Darren Waller is, is still a strong option, but... Uh, I, I will buy into the chalk on this and, and go back and forth with these two running backs. I think you likely get a competitive game, at least that's the way Vegas views it right now. That's my favorite element here. And then, and then of course, you talk about Darren Waller, strong play always, uh, particularly in this matchup. Where are your top options from this game? And if you want to touch on Jacobs a little more, that works too. Yeah, uh, we got to mention that Jacobs was used really differently Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In week seven than he had previously been used. They used Devontae Booker a lot more. In fact, uh, Jacobs only played on 51.5% of the snaps for the Raiders. He got 10 carries. That was his lowest of the season. Uh, still four targets, which is which is a healthy amount. But we have to make sure that he's still the bell cow. That's definitely something to monitor. He's priced a little bit down this week at running back 12 in terms of uh, the DraftKings salary this weekend. 
which most gamers are seeing as a bit of a value. I saw that he's the third highest running back in salary. So it seems like the assumption is that they were just playing the Buccaneers and the Raiders were trying to do something different with the backfield. Well, they also got shit on. He didn't see a (laughs) single touch in the fourth quarter and only three in the third. So I think you can contextualize it that way. But I, I would prefer a running back that even if they're getting blown out in the fourth quarter, they're on the field trying to get passes and, and, and whatnot. Still, you, you see a touch floor of about 14 to 16 for Jacobs. That's still great at the running back 12 salary. All right. If we keep it moving to the New England Patriots and Buffalo Bills, things are about to get ugly. Uh, New England is getting four points against Buffalo, 42 and a half point total, one of the lowest totals of the season. It's just an all around ugly game, Matt. Cam Newton has been God off. I mean, he just looks absolutely terrible. Uh, and, and I'm not sure how many excuses you can make for him at this point. Belichick said that, you know, he is the, the starter going forward. So that's fine. And a lot of that is because who the hell else are you going to throw in there? That's going to be any better. Zero touchdowns to five interceptions over his last two games. He's thrown for a combined 250-some yards, 55 yards over that span. Uh, it's, been, it's been heinous watching this offense operate. Julian Edelman has been virtually invisible as a result of the just completely ineffective passing game. James White, you haven't heard his name. The, ultimately, the New England offense – Uh, over the last three weeks has scored a total of 28 points and is basically outside of that one game from Harris on the ground against the Kansas city chiefs been completely unusable across the board. Yeah. uh, It's a different time in new England. What else can we say? Uh, You know, you still have to look at cam Newton as a rusher, as someone that you need to consider in fantasy football every week, especially. I won't, I won't, I, I will not. Okay. I mean, that's, that's fair. I think if you look at, so scrambles in terms of expected fantasy points per scramble and expected points per expected points per uh, designed quarterback rush, they're some of the highest value touches in the game. And Cam Newton just gets a ton of them. Uh, If you look at some of the open source models out there in the data nerd world that I love to check out, and you look at a stat called pass rate over or under expectation, the Patriots are running away with the lowest pass rate under expectation, as you might expect. So one of the things that we could look at is just as a rusher, Cam Newton is special in terms of expectation for quarterbacks. I I don't know if you can trust him anymore. He's at minus 2.5 fantasy points below expectation per game, but he's still the quarterback six in expected fantasy points. That's a product of usage again, because of that rushing game. But I don't think you want to touch those passing game options. In fact, since week three, I get it that there was some other non cam quarterbacks during that time. The highest target percentage has gone to James white, who didn't even play in all their games. He only played in three, even Julian Edelman and Demir bird. They have basically had their targets, uh, move towards each other. Edelman's at 19% of the targets and Bird's at 17. So figuring out who to even target in a stack is getting tougher and tougher. I completely understand why it's all stay away. Yeah, look, and I probably came on a little strong there because what you say when you talk about a, pass, a rushing quarterback all makes sense. But the problem is, and you just illustrated it right there, is 
I'm not playing him in cash where, you know, once in a while you might run a naked quarterback out there without any pass catchers. I, I just don't, I, I don't feel the need to do that in a, in a game where the Patriots have a, an implied total. What's their implied total? It's uh, I lost it, but it's I have like not 19 good. Nineteen and a half. Nineteen point two five. Yeah, uh, and then if it's tournaments, uh, the the quarterbacks that are winning tournaments right now are going for thirty plus. And while Cam Newton can certainly produce with his legs, can he give you enough to get him there? Uh, and I guess if you want to reference the Seattle game, fine. But that certainly feels like an outlier right now. There's been questions of whether or not COVID affected his performance i don't know man i, I want to i'm going to lean on the side of no but maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe it has ultimately though if i'm playing him in tournaments i probably have to pair him with someone and you just laid it out who the hell with any level of confidence can we pair cam newton with right now yeah if you look at the data deep dive that i posted this week they're about league average if you look at them in terms of consolidated opportunity share they're right in the center uh, for stacks of two, obviously, with Edelman and Bird there. They're actually a little bit above average. Again, that's only looking at target share and air yard share. It doesn't actually look at the amount of total targets and the total air yard, something we just talked about in the Bengals game where they have a ton of it. And as we just referred to before with that pass rate over expectation, or under, I should say, the Patriots just don't have enough overall volume to trust players. So I've said it before, you need efficiency or multiple touchdowns. And we just really can't, we just can't figure out who that is on a week-to-week basis. So I think I might have some Cam Newton in tournaments. I think, again, if you're making a list of who can score 30 points, I think you might scribble Cam's name on at the very end and, and plug your nose and play in, in some situations here. And if you look at things on the other side of the ball, we know that the Bills theoretically could air the ball out score 30 points and force the Patriots into some sort of second half comeback. That would be the only game situation that I'm creating lineups for where I'm uh, creating traditional passing stacks with Cam Newton. All right. On the other side of this one with Buffalo, we can't exactly say that Josh Allen's performance has been stellar over the previous few weeks either. Uh, Last week he did, you know, crossed the 300 yard or he eclipsed the 300 yard mark, but uh, went scoreless. There was not a single touchdown from, from the Buffalo bills in that game. And they still won by eight points. It tells you all you need to know about the New York jets. Um, He did finally start rushing more, but uh, you know, the Patriots are going to do a pretty decent job of, of preventing the passing game from going insane Maybe you like Josh Allen on the ground. I just honestly am, am not a fan of this game. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it finishes 17-10 this week. And uh, I'm not going to force myself to like spots that on an 11-game slate with many potential high-scoring games, uh, I, I just, I'm not going to force myself to get there. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, I think you're right on here. And I'm, I apologize. I didn't look up the study recently, but I have read it recently. Or excuse me, read it in the past that games that are divisional games that have weather expectations hit the under, as you might expect, more often than the typical game at their total. So it's a situation where I think you look at the probability of this game going under is a little bit higher than than some of the other plays around it, and it already has such a low total to begin with. You know, I saw the Osimo projections are basically in line with Josh Allen's QB5 salary on DraftKings. And, you know, in terms of expected fantasy points, The rushing really helps him again. He's second overall still in expected fantasy points per game. 
And you're seeing a fairly modest ownership here, less than 4%, the 12th overall uh, quarterback in terms of ownership projections on Osimo right now. Uh, again, you're, you're trying to, we're trying to figure out game environment here. And with teams so committed to the run in New England, you're just seeing a limited number of plays. I don't think you're going to see 43 pass attempts like we saw against the Jets or 41 like we saw against the Titans. So I think most likely you're looking at Josh Allen because you want to play him uh, just as a a smash stack. You think the game uh, just goes the Bills' way because they're a better team. And that's definitely a possibility or you're playing him for the rushing and the fact that his ownership's pretty decent. I don't love it this week, but I think the receiving options, especially Stephon Diggs, do deserve a look. Okay. Diggs always deserves, yeah, some type of luck. If you're going to get him at low ownership, that's fine. But I'd like to see him a little bit cheaper in this particular matchup. Matt, we've got uh, the New York Jets and Kansas City Chiefs, biggest spread of the week, 19 and a half points is what the Jets are getting here. I mean, God, that's just ugly. 49, (laughs) 49-point total. Ultimately, you just can't look towards it. They have a 14.75 implied total, 34.25 for the Kansas City Chiefs. I want to just clear the deck real quick with this New York Jets team and get them out of the picture. I'll allow you to do that. If you want to talk about Michael P. Ryan, if you want to talk about uh, any of these guys, feel free. But just, um, you know, don't take up too much of my time. (laughs) No, it's just like I'm looking at all these metrics going into this game, and it looks like one of those early season SEC matchups where they're playing like someone in the FCS. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you, you could get lucky by running it back with someone saying that they try and are at least successful maybe against the second team, you know, coming back in the second half and just getting the necessary volume. But, I mean, is Jamison Crowder even practicing at this point? At, the, at this No, point, he didn't practice yesterday. We don't have a report on it yet. It, if he, Their best weapon, and, and he really is a weapon. He's fantastic, man. He's been the only silver line and the only glimmer of hope on that offense all season long. I mean, it's the truth. And it's, it's one of those things where it's going completely overlooked because of the environment around him. It's just a trash heap. And Denzel Mims, um, you know, his first game as a jet, it was his uh, rookie debut after a hamstring injury helped him or kept him out. Excuse me. It was good to see him on the field, but for the most part, I actually think, you could make an argument that you stay away from this entire game, including the Chiefs, but we'll get there in a minute. I don't want to play any Jets at all, especially with the injuries. Uh, you're, you're fine playing Sam Darnold as the 27th overall quarterback as a budget option. Almost no ownership coming in, but uh, it's not my kind of play. I'm just not on it. All right, let's talk Kansas City. This actually gets a little bit weird here. You know, 19 and a half point spread, 34.25 total for the Chiefs. Normally you'd look at this and say easy plays across the board. But we'll start with Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, last week, it's it's tough to get too much of a read here. Edwards-Alaire had eight attempts, uh, four targets in the passing game. Meanwhile, Le'Veon Bell in his uh, debut with the Kansas City Chiefs had six Uh, six rushing attempts and zero targets. But ultimately, that game got out of hand pretty quickly. It was, you know, pretty rough conditions out there playing in the snow. And the snap counts for week seven looked like this. 
Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 53%, Le'Veon Bell, 33%, and DeAndre Washington, 20%. I still think Edwards-Alaire gets the, the, he gets more looks each week in both phases of the offense, you would think, than, than Bell. But I can't tell you in a spot where there's such massive favorites that I'm terribly happy about looking towards anyone in this run game, unless some maybe Edwards-Alaire does it early, I worry that you could see kind of limited opportunities as we did last week, especially now that he might be sharing the rock more than he was in the past. Oh, and he is. And we saw the lowest opportunity share of the season for Clyde Edwards Hilaire against Denver. Again, we contextualize that a little bit because the game got out of hand and the fact that they definitely wanted to work Le'Veon Bell in who, by the way, had the longest run since he was a stealer right off the bat when he, when he entered the game. So it just tells you that the quality of an offense goes so much into, it goes so far into the production of a running back. It's really even hard to quantify sometimes. So if you're someone who's concerned about Le'Veon Bell's talent level, I don't think that you're on the right path there. The problem here is determining usage with such a low sample of them playing in the same backfield. And this is something I actually wrote up in the column on this game this week. You know, you have the passing game of the Chiefs. You know its ceiling is the best passing game in the league by far. And you have this humongous total compared to their opponents here. You need Patrick Mahomes to have the best score among quarterbacks to pay off as the top overall quarterback in salary this week. And then you need to start doing the thought of experiments of how and why is Patrick Mahomes the quarterback one? Is it possible that he throws a couple of bombs to Kelsey Hardman or or Hill and just gets ahead by 25 in the first half and and then they keep pouring on the gas? Yeah, sure, that's possible. But I think one of the more likely things here is that the the Mahomes-led offense just scores two touchdowns even and understands that they can coast the rest of the game against an atrocious, atrocious Jets offense. So I don't know if they're going to have to score the amount of points that their salaries indicate that they're going to here in this game. Obviously, the the upside of someone like a Tyree Kill, as we even saw in the snow last week, is tremendous. But I almost wonder if taking a chance on the lower-priced running back, which in this case is Le'Veon Bell, is one of the ways you can play this. We're only seeing about 3.5% ownership. I might go there in a revenge game narrative backed by metrics just a little bit. I... I don't disagree with you because, first of all, it's a very risky play. But there aren't a lot of dirt cheap running backs to consider this week. That's one area. Like Last week you had Jamal Williams, you had Giovanni Bernard. You're not going to have that, that value here. A lot of them have already been preemptively priced up. If we're talking about a potential spot that Bell could go off, in, on a team that might use him more down the stretch as well if they get ahead early. Yeah, this that could be it. Uh, it's it's highly risky. You know, last week you and I talked about, hey, you never know. It, it could be a Latavius Murray game because he's had spots where he's gotten 15-plus touches. Ended up not being the case. But, you know, sometimes you have to at least look at, at situations in that way. Uh, and, and, of course, that was before we knew that Mixon was going to be out and before that we knew Jones was going to be out. That changed everything. But, yeah, he still saw 12 opportunities, 12 uh, or twelve touches, just didn't manufacture much. Le'Veon Bell might get those opportunities. Now, I'll say this about Terry Kill. 
teams that coast still need to put up enough points to coast. Uh, you know, the blowout factor in basketball is very similar. Yay. My guy didn't play the last eight minutes. He didn't play his fourth quarter rotation, but he did so much in the first three quarters that I'm in good shape. You could see an instance where Tyree Kill gets two monster 50-plus yard touchdowns in the first half, and that's all you need. So I'm a little, I'm a little higher on this Kansas City Chiefs team than you are because blowouts are something I try not to factor in as much, knowing that there are absolutely instances where a team can rip off 300 yards and four passing touchdowns in the first half when they're 20 point favorites, if that makes sense. Yeah. How many of those Lamar Jackson games last year where he sat there the fourth go. quarter, did you want to have him in lineups? There you a go. lot of them. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's actually a great example. So uh, it's undoubtedly possible. Is it probable? I honestly couldn't tell you yes or no, probably not. But well, when if you, you go- look at the top stacks tool, you see Kansas city right at the top there. there you go. So it, it's something where you, we're talking about possibilities, but when you quantify it into probabilities, the Chiefs tend to look darn good. Not surprised. Yep. So Tyree Kill, Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, I'm still not opposed to getting there just because they could, you know, if they dropped 50 points on the Jets, I wouldn't be shocked. They'll probably take their foot off the gas if this game gets out of hand. But three quarters? No. I think through at least three quarters, this team is going to try and you know, score as many points as possible. The NFL, that's how it works. That's right. Let's talk about the Rams and the Miami Dolphins. I don't really have a definitive lean towards this game all that much. And that might just mean that I don't have a ton of interest in it, Matt, but uh, the Dolphins are getting three and a half points at home. You got a 46 point uh, over under here, 24.7 implied for the Rams, 21.25 for the Dolphins. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa will be starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, I salute you. Val- yeah. Valiant effort. You did great. I love the guy. His team. The league is better team. with him in it, period. No doubt about it, Matt. No doubt about it. I love him. And he said he was pretty beat up over that, but he respects the, opinion, the decision and he's going to support his rookie quarterback. The guy is just a class act. And uh, again, salute you, fella. But uh, what are you doing with this game? Yeah, again, yeah, I respect the hell out of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, you know, it's a situation where (laughs) this is one of the most high-variance decisions by a front office and a coaching staff that you can really have in the middle of a season. I wrote in the matchups column uh, that the ceiling is Colin Kaepernick taking over for Alex Smith and riding the team, riding the rest of the talent to the Super Bowl. And the floor is Nathan Peterman's infamous five interception game where the bills inexplicably moved on from Tyrod Taylor for a game in the middle of a playoff race. And we have to mention here that the dolphins thanks partially to Ryan Fitzpatrick are outplaying their projections and their situation. They're three and three and the rest of the division hasn't looked like the, the juggernaut division that we usually see The Bills have fallen from grace over the last few weeks, and the Patriots, as we mentioned earlier in the show, don't look anywhere near a playoff-caliber team right now. And then there's the Jets. So what you're really saying as a coaching staff is that Tua is able to get about the same results and production from this offense that Fitzpatrick is. 
I'll believe it when I see it. But maybe I'm galaxy braining this way too hard here. But I wonder if because of the uncertainty that everyone sees because of that new quarterback, you know, maybe there's a little bit of opportunity to play a Devontae Parker, to play a Mike Isecki, who said this week that he's had a lot of experience playing with Tua because they run they run Mike Isecki on the scout team. I don't understand that. Never mind. But yeah. I, I, I digress. It's one of those things where I know I'm going to have low ownership. They're expected to have a low total, but they just have to outplay it by essentially one touchdown to feel like, you know, I could get four touchdown drives out of the Miami Dolphins this week if they play a little bit ahead of their expectations, which we've seen them do. So again, projecting a quarterback in his first game is almost impossible, but Tua Tagovailoa had some of the best metrics in his one full season as a starter at Alabama that we've ever seen from a quarterback. I think at the time of that uh, full season finishing, he had the highest adjusted yards per attempt of any quarterback in NCAA history until Joe Burrow broke it in 2019. So that's the reason he was such a high expected draft pick before that injury. It's possible he steps in kind of like Baker Mayfield did when he came in in 2018 and gives value to the whole team. Do we expect it? Really, really hard to bet on that. Of course, the most likely outcome is the Rams using that run-oriented offense, jamming it down the throat of the Dolphins, who rank 32nd in DVOA against the run, and just shortening the game, finishing things up, and moving on with their trip to Miami. So uh, really tough game to project. Low ownership could be fun in tournaments to play with. On the other side of this one, You've got the Rams coming off a pretty efficient offensive performance. They have not beaten, they had not beaten a non-NFC East team until they beat Chicago. And let me say, Chicago, that is not a great football team. So, look, I don't think the Rams are a bad football team at all, but I do think that on Monday night you had two teams that were both really vying for, for respect around the league, and, and one of them pulled it off, the other one didn't whatsoever. But – I don't know what to expect from Tua. If this was Fitzpatrick, I'd actually have confidence that Miami could pull a win off here. Uh, But not confidence, but that they would, but that they definitely could. Uh, On the Rams side of things, however, the the passing volume has been tough. Henderson and Brown now are both getting a bunch of looks. Akers isn't involved at all. Higby was out. Josh Reynolds was getting the, and Mund. Like, it's, it's it's, it's kind of ugly for me. And I'm not necessarily sure what direction to take. So we'll get your opinion. Before we do, though, Jack Perry, thank you for the super chat, brother. He says, my real name is Ketchup on Eggs. Put it on the jersey. Matt, little backstory. (laughs) Josh Engelman and I on the MLB Strategy Show had a big discussion about ketchup and eggs uh, and how I'm insane for liking it. But, yes, I put ketchup on my scrambled eggs or on an omelet. So that's going on the jersey. Matt, you're going on the jersey, too. Your thoughts on the Rams? Yeah, exactly what you said there with the the fact that the passing game got spread out a little bit more than we expected. Uh, with Higby out, we did expect Gerald Everett to see more looks, and he ended up catching a touchdown. But as you said, Johnny Munt outgained him at the tight end position, which was definitely unexpected there. And we saw both Cooper Cup and Robert Woods under a 20% target share. Now, their averages are still well above that. They're in the 20 to 25% target share range each. And they look like they have a decent matchup here. So I, I think it's possible to go back to the well, but it's definitely concerning that they didn't get the volume, especially as it 
is it looked like the targets would consolidate around those two targets, Woods and Cup. And again, same problem with the running backs here. We're still seeing a two-headed monster, although Cam Akers, uh, sorry to those who drafted him in season long, has just been completely phased out of this offense. And with a team as talented as a, as a running team as the Rams continue to be, you're still going to see value, but you're still going to have to pick between the two who gets that quality usage. The lean here a little bit is Henderson, but Brown is still out targeted him over the year. And you still could see goal line vulturing. Who knows from this team, they bring acres in when we least expect it, just ruining fantasy days for everyone. One thing I did want to mention is that next gen stats shows the Rams having the most compact average play, meaning away from the hat or closest to the hash marks. They don't, they don't spread the ball out in a way that no other team does. And it's actually like a very visible uh, difference when you look at it on a graph. And I think that's part of the uniqueness of Sean McVay's motion heavy, play action heavy, and not spread tight formations that is really, really effective. I, I certainly see them winning this game against a rookie quarterback. Okay. Yeah, that's why I said if it was Fitzpatrick, we might be having a different conversation here. That the guy fit, figures out how to manufacture points and wins. Uh, I see them getting the win as well. Are there any priority plays for you in this game on either side? Priority options? Yeah, I think Robert Woods looks like a bit of a tournament value. I'm seeing him at five and a half percent ownership. That's 26th among wide receivers. He could easily, easily outplay that salary-based ranking, especially when you consider that he's kind of gotten over the hump. You know, it used to be that he couldn't score touchdowns, and now he's leading the team in receiving touchdowns. He's also being used as a basic extension of the running game, which, as I just spoke plenty of sentences about, is a strength of the team. So that's my priority there. Uh, the projections from Osmo actually have cup a little bit higher, though. Okay. <laughs> Chat's going wild right now. Uh, it's good stuff. I'll make a look. How the, how the F is Laffy typing and doing names on the jersey? I don't know. Did it come up at this? I, I, oh, well, there's a delay, first of all. So, like, if I'm typing, there's a delay. So you'll see me doing that where I'm already done and, you know, whatever. But the names are up there. Ketchup and eggs, underline, make it happen. You're up there, too, Erickson. Uh, let's talk about the Chargers and the Denver Broncos. And, but guys, if you uh, if you want to, you know, I've heard people talk about the ads. There's, there's work around. I can't really say it out loud, but if you want to listen to all of our stuff in podcast form, you can do that as well. Any podcast platform, uh, any platform that, that has that carries podcasts, we're on it. So, uh, you know, iTunes, whatever you use for the, for the Androids, pretty much anywhere we're on there. So uh, that's one way to do it. If you haven't done so yet, you can do that instead of doing it on here, but uh, to each his own chargers in Denver. Let's uh, let's make this one happen. Three to go, Matt. We're making pretty good time here today. And, we still got around 450 watching us, so you guys are the best for sticking with us through these uh, incredible marathon show. And no, yes, those are not you. Dickies, John. I'm wearing Nike sweatpants with a sweatshirt. See, the great thing is no one needs to ever see the lower half. I could be butt-ass naked down there, Matt, and no one would know the difference. Please don't. You never we don't, know. We don't, want, we don't want any mishaps. You never know. Yeah, could you imagine <laughs> if I got up to sign the jersey? And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would shock the world. Alex uh, Adam Share once lost a bet 
to us back when we were do, doing this a while ago in the fanbase days, and he had to do a naked show. You you can go back and find that on YouTube. He Get never admitted here. he was fully naked, but he definitely went shirtless, and it was one of the greatest things ever. Anyway, back to the topic oh. at hand: Dodgers, <laughs> Dodgers, Chargers, Denver Broncos. With um, I don't know another game that I'm not particularly fond of. But we still have to talk about it because there's surprisingly a lot of low-scoring affairs. 44.5 point total. Broncos are getting three points at home. Drew Locke actually has, and believe it or not, Jeff Driscoll when he played, they had the two highest drop rates in the league of anyone that's attempted more than, I think, 60 passes. So he's had some bad luck. He's also made some really bad throws. Um, the, the biggest question here I actually want to start with is Philip Lindsay was getting a ton of work, and he was super efficient last week against Kansas City, nine for 79 in that first half before late in the second quarter he went down with the concussion. He's not practicing. And if it ends up being that he doesn't play, Melvin Gordon is going to going to command a monster workload once again in the event that Philip Lindsay can't get on the field. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, it's definitely something we have to continually monitor because, yeah, as you said, he hasn't been practicing. The bottom line is, if this offense belongs to just one player, as it has over the last few weeks, you're probably looking at a value play here. Melvin Gordon is currently the 21st highest salary running back on the slate. He's 5,600 on DraftKings. That means he needs about 16 to 17 points in order to be a value play for you in lineups. And you're looking at a player who's seventh among running backs in fantasy points or expected fantasy points this season. And he's playing right in line with that. He's less than uh, he's 0.1 points away from his expectation per game. So yes, he made some boneheaded decisions and then got sick. Wasn't with the team. And now it looks like he might be back in a bell cow role out of necessity here. The situation looks really, really good for Gordon, assuming he has that workhorse role, the Chargers rank 17th in yards per carry allowed and 16th in points per play allowed. So they're a below average defense in terms of those metrics there. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a situation where you could have Justin Herbert passing somewhat effectively on the other side, creating, you know, a possibility for a shootout. We only see a 44 and a half point total here. The over is a possibility even though I don't expect it, like you said, the inefficiency from Drew Locke as a passer, even with the drops, is really concerning for him long-term. Right, it is. And I can't say I'm confident uh, in his ability to turn that around. But no joke, Matt, there have been some really big drops, like long touchdown drops through their hands, some really perfect touch passes as well. So I I just don't want to take away everything from, from Drew Locke here in that it's, you know, takes two to tango, but... He certainly uh, had some struggles in that respect, and I can't say I'm confident in his ability to turn things around this week either. Uh, Chargers' run defense has been, you know, okay, but they're still allowing four four and a half yards per per attempt. So I saw someone in chat mention that you know their 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 run defense is is strong. It's not bad. But it's it's also it's not it's not completely locking teams down. They're pretty much middle of the road in both yards per game and and, and yards per attempt. Uh, and last week, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't didn't Robinson eclipse 100 yards on the ground? 
Oh, Robinson had a huge game. Didn't he have over 30 fantasy points? So I'm sure it's a situation that's absolutely exploitable. And the way that I use defensive metrics in general is I, I use the metrics to ask myself, is a defensive unit either against the pass or the run going to be responsible for dictating the game environment? And usually when I see numbers that are around league average, I tend to toss it out. It's not really going to be a function. It's a possibility that the run game is the strongest unit for the Chargers. But in terms of league averages, you're not seeing it dictate the way I think about this game environment. At, At least that's for me. I also think that there's a possibility that Justin Herbert continues outplaying his expected points. As we've seen, he's six and a half fantasy points over expectation. We saw a 40 point game from him last week. It's possible that he just has the ability to to beat Denver through the passing game, creating a shootout environment, which, again, with a low point total and low expected ownership from these players could create a great leverage spot for tournament players. Okay. Uh, Someone put put funneling in quotations with a question mark. Uh, Simply, when we talk about funneling, and Carlton, you are 100% correct, man. Absolute slaughterhouse back in high school. Uh, it, when we talk about funneling, it would be a team might be very good defensively in one area. So they, quote unquote, funnel the plays through maybe the ground or through the pass. The Tampa Bay Bucks last season funneled opposing offenses through the air. So, you know. Yeah, another great example this season, the Atlanta Falcons are actually seventh in the league in yards per carry allowed. That's best towards the best in the league and dead last in yards per attempt, pass attempt allowed. All right. Um, what else do you have here for for the Chargers side of the ball? If we're talking the run game, it's it's kind of a tough one, especially last week, seeing that Kelly got more looks than Jackson, even though Jackson in the week prior to that against New Orleans before the bye was getting used a ton. You might see a hot hand approach here. Uh, and then the frustrating thing with, with Justin Herbert is he's been good enough to pretty much put the ball to anyone who is open, uh, whether that's Guyton who now has touchdowns on like 35% of his receptions this year or targets this year and three of his eight receptions, or whether that's um, Virgil green or, or Donald Parham or, you know, weird handoffs to, to Ed Reed, like, or not Ed Reed, uh, Joe Reed, Keenan Allen still had a big game, but man, was that Hunter Henry performance disappointing. Same with Mike Williams. Oh, I had a lineup with a Herbert Henry stack that was pretty much fire except for that. And Henry really tanked it. And it was so tilting too, because we saw the matchup as a positive four tight ends and then two different tight ends, not named Hunter Henry score touchdowns from Justin Herbert. Hey, that's the way the football goes. Sometimes I, uh, I kind of thought something was wrong with, with Keenan Allen, maybe something that I was missing here. Uh, His salary just seems fundamentally uh, misguided this week. He's the 15th highest salary wide receiver. And assuming he has, (laughs) he has two legs working for him, then the projections for Osimo completely smash that. If you have our fantasy cruncher add on with Osimo and you start to crunch lineups this week, you're going to see Keenan Allen's name all over the board and i completely understand why here the las vegas defense has not been good at all against the pass they rank 27th in yards allowed per pass attempt and like i said you're you're getting a pretty strong value there 
The problem is other people are seeing it that way too. He's the number one highest projected uh, ownership for the weekend at wide receiver. Anything else for the Chargers that stands out to you? The fact that Joshua Kelly had more quality touches than Justin Jackson this past week, whereas before the bye, Justin Jackson had the, the passing game work and the goal line work. I almost wonder if it's a stay away situation just until we figure this one out. By the way, what are you qualifying as a quality uh, touch or a quality opportunity? Great question. In the data deep dive, how I describe it is any rush that happens inside the 10 yard line. So I call that a goal line rush and any, any target because of PPR, they're worth so much more on a per touch basis. So the quality touch uh, lead in that first game went to Justin Jackson And then in the second game, it went to Kelly here. I'm sorry, I don't have those exact stats up, but it was something I mentioned as I was writing this article out this week. All right, good stuff. Alan says, who y'all like on the showdown tonight? Still three days to make these damn main slate lineups. Well, guess what, brother? Do I have a surprise for you? I just before this show finished up doing tonight's showdown slate video or live stream with Matt Kajeski. So you go to Awesome Mode, go to the Awesome Mode channel, You will find it right there with Matt and myself, full out breakdown for tonight's showdown slate. We got you covered, man. We wouldn't leave any stone unturned here. Um, All right. You ready? We got two to go. Ready to hammer this out? Yeah. Moving on. Oh, uh, Hunter Henry's projection compared to his tight end 12 salary. It's also a smash spot. Uh, I know the total is low in this game, but I'm not, I'm not as afraid of the passing game, especially for the chargers as it seems that, uh, you might be okay. Um, no, I'm not afraid. I just <laughs> uh, did I even mention that I was worried about it, or you just said you weren't that interested in this game? Oh, that gotcha. Much. Yeah, that is true. I do like Melvin Gordon, though. If Philip Lindsay sits, I just think you know it, it's a big opportunity to get a lot of work and wouldn't be shocked if this game stays close. Saints and the Chicago Bears, Bears coming out of a brutal loss. Their offense has been worse with Nick Foles. Shocking. Sure has. <laughs> Not shocking to anyone in, in, in the Philly area. We love BDN. We love Nick for what he brought us, a, a championship, a Super Bowl. But I think we all knew that there was – the luck would soon run out. But I digress. New Orleans laying four and a half points, another 43 and a half point total. Uh, it's pretty crazy. You have three mm-hmm. games, three or four games with a sub-44 point total. Uh, you, it just goes. It just shows you the quality of of offense or defense in some of these games. Uh, the Saints here once again, once again, could be without Michael Thomas. Uh, he did not practice yesterday. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know what's going on here. It looks like the ankle injury is mostly gone, but the hamstring injury is back. Matt, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know at this point. I'm just going to assume. I'm going to operate under the assumption that he doesn't play. Uh, and that Alvin Kamara does, of course. There's no reason he wouldn't, and he's going to be very popular again. Yeah, I, especially when you factor in another weather game here, it looks like we're projecting 25-mile-per-hour sustained winds with gusts up to 40 miles per hour in this game. If that's the case, you're not going to see Drew Brees passing deep whatsoever. He is already throwing just 1.3 deep balls per game, deep passing attempts per game. If you include all starters that have played this year, that's 34th in the NFL. So they're just not a deep passing team in general. 
And then they're still missing their best receiving weapon by far in Michael Thomas. I, I, you know, at first was looking at Jared Cook as a possibility in this passing game, but as this, uh, as this passing offense continues to struggle really with just uh, the weapons that they have in Emmanuel Sanders, who, who actually had a decent game last week, and Traquan Smith, I'm just more committed to playing Kamara, even at higher ownership, and then possibly just staying away from this one if it gets really, really ugly weather-wise. Okay. Yeah, that, it, it's Kamara, and then aside from that, it, it gets really ugly, man. Uh, really, really ugly. Uh, and th- and I think you mentioned it already, Sanders isn't even eligible to return, so they're, they're in a pretty rough spot here. On the other side, I just – I'm not interested in Chicago right now. If, if there's anyone I'll go to, it's going to be Allen Robinson, but he's in the concussion protocol. We saw him take a rough hit uh, in, in that Monday night football game. Th- this whole spot just screams stay away. The run game is putrid. Uh, David Montgomery can't, can't really pick up anything north of three yards at, at any point in time. I'm not seeing many convincing efforts from him. Every each of his last five games, he's averaged less than three and a half yards per attempt. Not great. I just don't really have much interest here outside of maybe taking some shots on Robinson, but his price has eclipsed the 7K mark now. I just do not want to go to the Bears this week. Yeah, you're really making a usage call with David Montgomery. You're not really expecting a huge amount in terms of efficiency, as you mentioned, and then you're kind of hoping that maybe he falls into the end zone. He is running like, back. Would you rather go to Montgomery or Melvin Gordon if Melvin Gordon ends up playing with without Philip Lindsay? Yeah, I think I think the choice is easy for me right now. It's Melvin Gordon. Yeah, and, and Josh Jacobs that, is three hundred dollars more than than David Montgomery. I don't know. What about Jamal Williams against Minnesota or David Montgomery? I'm if, certainly you know, playing Williams if, right. if Jones sits hundred percent of the time. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know what? This offense without Allen Robinson in the lineup, as you said, that might just be a complete stay away. They're not scoring enough. They're not in the red zone enough. They're just not moving the ball enough offense this weekend. Yep. I hear you. Um, Matt, providing great analysis as always. Let's close it out with a game that I was surprised to see the total coming in at 54 points. I really thought we'd see it more around 48, but it's time for me to get with the times and understand that the uh, NFC West is no longer that grinded out, you know, Legion of Boom style defense. Uh, 49ers defense has been banged up all season long, not nearly as formidable as they were before. 54 points here in this last game of the slate between the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it's it's pretty insane. The, the, the Niners are actually one-point favorites on the road, also a bit surprising to me. Or no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Three point, my fault. I was looking at the differential here. The the, the Giants are three point, 49ers are three point dogs. That makes more sense. I was going to say, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, That's my fault. Sorry, Jordan. I think I put that in the run sheet too. So what are you going to do? Anyway, uh, Seahawks laying three points at home. That makes more sense. They've just seen a lot of really high scoring affairs when the Seahawks are involved, Matt, last week we went to overtime. We saw 71 total points, uh, 53 the week before, 54, 69, 65, 50, uh, 63. That is, those are all the Seahawks games this season. Is that insane or what? 
just just lunacy. And uh, there is a data scientist, I believe he works for The Athletic now, that tried to quantify normal games versus abnormal games, as in they have crazy finishes or they go wild at the end. And he said that the Seahawks over the years have played in by far the most non-normal games as we saw on display on Sunday night. Hey, helped an awesome subscriber win the million dollars, so we're not going to complain about the craziness from them. And just like you mentioned, it's a different era in Seattle. Uh, again, this is the data deep dive chart that I'm referring to here. Uh, in the aggression metrics, the aggressiveness metrics that I look at for teams, the Seahawks are second in air yards per second of play, meaning they're throwing deep. No matter what their pace of play is, they're throwing deep when they choose to throw on early downs and in neutral situations. And they're also passing the most in the league on early downs in these neutral situations. That's within six points. So they're basically giving the ball to Russell Wilson when the game is close or on the line, and they're saying, make plays happen, pass to who you want to pass to. Last week, it was Tyler Lockett over and over and over again. 20 targets is just an, or yeah, that's correct there. He had just an unbelievable game, completely broke the slate. Even if you had Devontae Adams in your cash lineup, it wasn't enough a lot of times. So I think we're still playing the Seahawks offense as a massively consolidated group. We're going to assume that things even out with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf over the course of the season. And, you know, the 49ers defense, as you said, has been injured, but they have pretty much weathered the storms in terms of these overall metrics. You know, they, they don't pop really in any of the yards per carry, yards per attempt, and points per play metrics. In fact, they're not up to the top 10. That's toughest for opposing offenses uh, on the year for all of those three metrics. So not the easiest play for the Seahawks this week, but I'm not ready to move away from Russell Wilson the way he's been playing. As a favorite at home, I'm going to have ownership with both of the receiving weapons. And the Osmo projections are essentially right in line with that QB2 salary. It's a little bit below, but he's definitely worth a look. Do you think the total's too high here? I, I think I said this earlier in the show. When you look at divisional matchups, they have higher variance in terms of their uh, how close their result ends up to the spread. And you do see it hit the under a little bit more often. I wish I had the specifics of the study, but it, it's a situation where this game could get wacky if it was a 17 to 13 game because the defenses tried to control the game and they took away the deep passing game and they put everything in front of them, it wouldn't surprise me so much, but I don't think that's the most likely outcome. I think they continue their deep looks and I continue to go back to the well on Lockett and Metcalf. The hard thing about it though, and this is surprising to me is the salary. I can't believe that DK Metcalf is the second highest wide receiver on the main slate. I almost had to do a double take there because I couldn't believe it. He, Lockett's even lower. He's, I know. I, it, it, it's actually extremely surprising to me, but it, it's going to open some things up. You're going to pay for them. But uh, ultimately, I, I think, as I said, I was just really surprised to see the total coming in where it is. Uh, Chris Carson, we know, is now uh, week to week. There's no way that he's playing this week. It, it would be a miracle if he does. Uh, and... Carlos Hyde came down with that injury last week, uh, but it's not major according to Pete Carroll. So 
Uh, in the event that, that Carlos Hyde starts here and and Carson is out, which he should be, are you interested in, in him at all? I really am not. And, you know, I was thinking about this game a little bit before we went on air. And sometimes you have to think about this in terms of the lineups you set every week. What do you feel better if it goes wrong? And, and the bottom line is, in every lineup where I decide to play Carlos Hyde, if the Seahawks offense just is the Seahawks offense again, I'm going to be furious at myself for trying to attach myself to the Seahawks passing game by getting on Carlos Hyde. I just don't have a lot of interest in an injured or slightly injured Carlos Hyde, even at the 23rd highest running back salary on the slate. If the game environment is similar to what the Vegas total implies, where there's a lot of scoring, you know, fundamentally, the running backs probably aren't a bad play. I, I guess maybe it's just a little bit of bias about Carlos Hyde just being ineffective or at least just league average for so many years. On the other side, you've got uh, Brandon Ayuk. You've got um, no Debo Samuel. So that's that's a pretty big development there. George Kittle right now getting ownership coming in around 18, 19%. So he's up there. You're, you're going to see, by the way, a lot of uh, concentrated ownership at the tight end position this week between Waller, Kelsey, and Kittle, unless something changes dramatically. Uh, that's what we're looking at right now. The, the ground game is going to be difficult. Jeff Wilson with a monster performance last week. He is now injured. He's out, uh, expected to land on the IR. Raheem Mostert's on the IR. Uh, Tevin Coleman is designated, or they, they designated him to return from the injured reserve. So uh, he should be back. But Jermichael Hastie, Hastie has also been efficient, but can we trust him in the passing game or trust him to get any significant volume? He just run through the players there. It's, it's a mess. Last week, I felt good about taking some stabs on Jeff Wilson uh, just because he was less than 1% owned. And that was on the afternoon slate where he only had five games to choose from. But in a main slate situation uh, against Seattle where this game could shoot out through the air, is there really any incentive to trying to figure out what happens here on the ground with the uh, 49ers? Well, I think it's there's a little bit of incentive. If you look at San Francisco's yards per carry on offense compared to league average, they're way, way above league average. I believe they're 12% on a per carry basis above league average. So that's very solid, especially if it's consolidated to two players as we were kind of expecting it was going to. Then when you add on the fact that the coaching staff of San Francisco made hints and actually, I think they actually explicitly said this week that they're trying to keep Jarek McKinnon fresh. They're basically trying to make sure he's not injured by the end of the season. I was getting why he's not a good running back anyway. I think they paid quite a bit of money for him and and they haven't seen him on the field except for the season. I, I, again, we're trying to assume rational coaching. We don't always get it, but it kind of looked there for a moment that Jermichael Hasty was going to have a lot of the early down work for a team that tends to be very strong running the ball. But with Tevin Coleman designated to return, especially if he gets back on the field, I think you're looking at the typical San Francisco three-headed monster, and they find a way to use Kyle Juszczyk more often than we want them as fantasy gamers. And so really you want to look to the passing game, which is already the weakness on the other side of the ball for the Seattle defense. You don't get a 54-point total by simply running the football. I can tell you that much. That's exactly right. Seattle's 28 in yards per pass attempts allowed. And 
in just the way that the running back game is spreading out possibly to three people, we have the passing game essentially consolidating to two main primary receivers. George Kittle, of course, understand the ownership every single week with him. And, you know, I look at schedule-adjusted fantasy points uh, by position often to see how defenses play against, uh, specifically for fantasy. But Seattle is terrible against wide receiver ones, and I'm counting that as a positive for George Kittle. He is a wide receiver one in this offense, utilized as such. And it's really the same story for wide receiver twos. Uh, It's a little bit better in terms of schedule-adjusted fantasy points for Seattle. I I love both Ayuk and Kittle this week. Even though the salaries are up there, Ayuk is inside the top 20 in wide receiver salary on DraftKings. All right. Woo! (laughs) We're there. Wait, we got... 10 more games, right? Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> this is like my third straight hours of shows this morning. I love it, though. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. Uh, Matt, great insight, as always. Follow Matt on Twitter at Draftaholic. Check out all of his work at awesomemode.com. Uh, one of them is free. One of them is behind paywall. The, the Data Deep Dive has a ton of great stuff. Uh, that, actually, no, I think we put that in front of you. Yeah, yeah, we, we uh, made yeah. it free. I'm super stoked about that. It's got yep. tons so of stuff. So getting a ton more looks, getting you – more exposure as well. So follow him. Uh, check out all of his work. Guys, remember Pumpkin and Girls. Pumpkin is the promo code to check out. $10.31 for an awesome O-plus platinum. NFL Weekly Pass. Everything for NFL. And if you're not doing so yet, uh, hit me up at Lafay underscore D on Twitter. L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Almost at 20,000. Help push your boy over the top. And uh, let's make it a good day here. Wish you guys the best of luck tonight. Remember, check out the uh, Showdown show. If you missed it, you can check that out. It's already uh, posted. The FanDuel show coming up with Matt Kajeski and Kyle Dvorak. And then Kyle will regroup with Alex Baker, Osimo himself, at 720 Eastern for the NFL Showdown live before lock. A lot going on today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you back here soon.